You can be seated tonight and turn to John chapter 6. Trying to get, this may be my last week in John chapter 6. You know how many times I said that, don't you? <laughs> the last few weeks we've spent some time on uh, oneness doctrine versus Trinitarian doctrine now to John chapter 6. We're going to move on from that tonight. I think I've said about as much as I need to say after reviewing notes and much of what I had written down has been covered, certainly not exhaustively, but I gave you the tools to dig and some resources to look yourself. So we're going to move on tonight. John chapter 6, verse 32. Then, you know, we're going to go everywhere from there. John chapter 6, verse 32 says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's a key. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, who gives, Lord, gives us bread, gives us this, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. It's the first of the I am's of John. There are seven I am's of God in John. This is the first one, I am the bread of of life. He would go on to say, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. There's seven I am's in John. The gospel of John presents Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He presents Jesus as God, the I am. Just like in when Moses at the burning bush, when it says, who shall I say sent me to Pharaoh? And the answer was, tell him that I am, that I am sent me. You'll remember not only here, but in the garden, whenever they came to arrest Jesus before his crucifixion. And the guards, the, the, the guards came and the, they asked him, are you he? And he, his response was, I am. And when he uttered those words, a whole regiment of soldiers fell on their face under the power of God, under the words of I am. I, this is the first I am in the book of John. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But... I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will, will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not of my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me that all he has given to me I should not... that. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that day. Now there's a lot there. We've been in John chapter 6 for weeks 
But tonight we're looking at something specific. We're going to jump over uh, to the other side of the page, verse 47. Most assuredly, Jesus is still speaking. I say to you, he who, be- <coughs> he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Read that again. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give of his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of my eat, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father So he who feeds on me, hear that, he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. So let's look in Deuteronomy, let's look over in Deuteronomy. What's up at the Deuteronomy chapter eight. We're giving a lot of scripture up front. Then we'll go from there. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. And to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. 
And he goes on to tell him, in this wilderness, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. You shall know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so your Lord God chastens you. Now let's look back at verse 3. These are going to be important in just a moment. So he, that's God, humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, every, but man lives by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is speaking of himself, of course, in John chapter 6 which is common in the Gospels when he's talking to the Jews. And, of course, he refers often back to the law where they, because that's what they understood and knew that there was a coming Messiah that they were missing. They knew what the Scriptures said. Come on. Yet they were missing it being right in front of them. If you go to Matthew chapter 4, there's a very... Familiar passage, and you, you know it. It's that when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he came up out of the water. The ministry of the public ministry of Jesus begins, and it says that immediately the Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he got out in the wilderness, said it was a 40 day fast that Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days, a 40 day fast. And it says at the end of the 40 days that Satan came to Jesus himself and to tempt him. That's very important because I'm just recapping some of the last weeks. We all know now that everything Jesus done on the earth, he done as a man in obedience to his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is our example. And the, the writer, I believe it was Hebrews, tells us that, that Jesus was in all points tempted, even as we are, Yet without sin, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And when the very first thing that after 40 days of, of fasting that, the, that Satan said to Jesus, if you be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. He tried to get him to display his power for his own benefit. And with the same question that the enemy always has, if you be. What was the original? It was always a doubt. What he said to Eve, has God said doubt? Cause you to doubt what God has said. If you be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Now, if you hadn't eaten in 40 days and you had the power to command stones be made bread, that would probably be a pretty great temptation to you. But Jesus done what he always does, and he says to the enemy, he says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which is what 
Deuteronomy chapter 8 is referring to. Then we're in John chapter 6, and he is describing what it, who he is to the religious culture, telling them that I'm him, I'm God, and you should recognize me by now because I'm everything that the prophets said I would be, and now I'm going to tell you that you're not going to get to God by the law, you're not going to get to God by your sacrifices, that you're going to get to God through me. And he says things like, I am the bread of life. Now, how many of us know Jesus is not a loaf of bread? Let's go back to some very important things. We teach on Wednesday night if you're not used to being here. We may get, we may spit in a minute, but we teach on Wednesday night. There's some foundational things you need to know. It all keeps going together. You cannot get away from John chapter 1, no matter how far you go in the Word of God. You're going to have to come back to it to know about Jesus and know that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Then all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And verse 14 of John chapter 1 tells you that the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. It's talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ as the begotten of the Father. The God became man for man. You know why he came? For us. It's for this cause the Son of Man was made manifest. That he manifest means that he became a reality, flesh and blood, not the spiritual realm. But physical, that he was, the Son of God was made manifest for one reason, and that is that he might destroy the works of the devil. What was the works of the devil? It's sin and the destruction that the sin caused, the fall, that now we, dwell, we deal with a sin nature that has to be dealt with. And the basic of this is you got to know some things, and that is that this is the Word of God, the written Word, Logos. Jesus is the living word. And they're inseparable. But, and when he begins to talk about the bread of life, I am the bread of life, you go back to Deuteronomy, and then we begin to understand some things. In Deuteronomy, they had, remember what had happened? They had been in Egyptian bondage for hundreds of years. They were miraculously delivered by the hand of God. They came out with the gold and the treasure of Egypt. They, the slaves came out with everything, driven out because of the hand of God. And, they, and now they've came into the wilderness. They've crossed the Red Sea. They came into the wilderness. And now they're at a place where they, they've rebelled and they've murmured and they've complained after all God's done for them. And now, instead of going straight on a, on a, on a few-week walk to the promised land, now they're going to get to walk around in the wilderness for 40 years. But while they were there, hear me somebody, maybe somebody right now tonight needs to hear this part more than anything else, in the wilderness. Sometimes we're in the wilderness. Wilderness is a part of life and most of the time, but not all the time, but most of the time we ended up in the wilderness of our, we put ourselves there. 
They put themselves there. But God said, I have you out here, and I let you become hungry for a little bit so that you, I could test you and to humble you and to try you to see what was in you. And there's a lot of us, including me, hear me, that spend all of our time rebuking the wilderness when the wilderness is needed. And what happened in the wilderness is one thing that began to happen was he said, I let you be hungry and humbled you to see, to, to see what you would do with it. And while you were there, I began to give something and your fathers didn't know what it was and you didn't know what it was. You know what manna means? Do you know what manna means? It literally means, what is it? <laughs> it does. It literally means, what is it? They never. They didn't know what it was. Now here, y'all are quieter than last week. Y'all me talking about something controversial again? Get y'all all where y'all talk, or y'all want to hear the word of God? Because this is good stuff. I am. He said, I brought you out here so that you could learn that man shall not live by bread alone. Now hold on. One of the first things they did when God, they, they were slaves. They built the Egyptian kingdom on their back. They, 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 the, 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 the wonder of Egypt came from them. They had no freedom. They, well, they were slaves. <laughs> and in an instant, by the power of the living God, not because they got a rebellion up, and not because they found a leader that led, that led a military coup, but because God sent Moses in to say, let my people go, and when Pharaoh would harden his heart and there would be a plague come, that Pharaoh would change his mind time after time after time and keep them. And finally, God says, listen, this is what's going to happen. Prepare this thing called a Passover. They'd never seen it or heard of it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb. And I want you to keep it in the house. And I want you to prepare it. And said, so when the day comes, I want you to get, get, take your household and kill the lamb, catch the blood in the basin, roast the lamb over the fire, and eat all of it. He said, if you don't have enough people in your household, bring your neighbors in to eat of the lamb. Don't waste any of it. So don't boil it. It has, to be, it has to be roasted on the fire because that was the image of the wrath of God falling on the brazen altar that was to come later. The lamb, of course, is the lamb of the world. It was Jesus Christ. And it says, when you do this, take the blood then, apply it to the doorpost of your home, strike the doorpost and the lintel, and then get in the house. And by the way, Exodus tells you clearly, apply the blood to your home and stay in it. Don't just apply the blood, stay in the house. That's pretty important. And what is it? He didn't say God locked them in the house. It says, go, that, you know what that was? Obedience. Go in the house and don't just go in and come back out later. You go in the house and you stay there all night. You stay. I'm not going to nail you in, you stay. And he said, at about midnight, I'm going I'm to send the death angel to pass over this place. And it says everywhere that the blood is not applied to the doorpost of the house, and they're not in the house, that the firstborn of that household of, its, of, its, of the children 
uh, the, well, everybody, the fir- any firstborn and the, and the livestock, are go- I'm going to smite Israel or smite Egypt. With my, I'm going I'm I'm to send the death angel and I'm going to smite this land. And if you're not, you know, and it, he, he said, I'm going to have him come across and you need to be in the house because if you're not in the house, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die with the Egyptians. But if you're in the house, this is what's going to happen. When I pass over, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, this is what has happened. They have been delivered, and that is exactly how it happened. And when that happened, it touched Pharaoh's house and everybody in it. And Pharaoh not only wanted them out of Egypt, he demanded them out of Egypt. God delivered them himself. And when they left, it says they left with the gold and the treasures of Egypt. Slaves don't have treasure. God got them out and paid for their way. And they get to the Red Sea. You know what happens. And Pharaoh has lost his mind again, and he begins to pursue them as the enemy does. Let me tell you, when God delivers you, sets you free, and saves you, you are free. And you get to go. But as long as we're on this world and in this earth, there is an enemy that is going to pursue you. There's an enemy that's going to pursue you because that's what he does. See, in typology, Egypt's always a type of sin and bondage. We even used to sing about it. I was once in Egypt's bondage, but deliverance came to me. (laughs) Yeah, remember? I am dwelling now in Canaan. Jesus' blood avails for me. I am bound by sin no longer, for the Son has made me free. So I get down to the Red Sea, and there's a barrier in front of them. They're closing in behind them. There's no way to get out on the sides. And Moses goes and inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, stretch your hat right out over the sea. And you know what happened. He stretches right out of the sea, and God blew the sea open. Side to side, they went across on dry ground overnight. Now, was there any power in the rod? No, there was power in the God. There was, where was the power? It was the, the power wasn't in the rod. The power was in the God. But the power came from the obedience of the man of God. God says, this is what you do. Go and stretch your rod out over the sea. And when he did... When he obeyed, God divided the Red Sea and took them out of Egypt and then drowned all of Pharaoh's army behind them. Because, see, he can still fight your battles. See, salvation, somebody hear me tonight if you don't hear anything else. Salvation is your entrance into the kingdom of God. It is not your finish. Hmm. I probably need to say that again. Salvation is the beginning of your walk with God. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's the beginning. If you're not saved, nothing else matters. But we got too many people in the church world today, oh, I got saved, and they think, well, and that's it. Then they, then they don't abide. Salvation is the beginning of your relationship with God. The beginning is what makes you eligible for a relationship with God. Let's say it that way. So they've, they've came out, and you know, the enemy pursues, they obey, God takes them in, and, he, and, they, and he's taking them to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It was their promise. And they went to go look at the land. I'm getting, y'all all know this. I'm walking you through on purpose. 
We're going to send spies into the land to see what's going to. God didn't have no problem with them going looking, but the but the out but the outcome of what God had said was never in question, and that was the problem. See, they had these twelve spies that go in and see that they they come back and said, "What are we going to do?" Ten of the twelve said, "Well, we ain't going to do anything." He said, "Y'all are crazy." He said, "It's indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants in that land, and we're grasshoppers in their sight. And what do we? We can't fight them." And the anger of God is kindled because God. See, when God tells us to do something, there's something we all need to learn about all of it. When God tells us to do, that He has done something, He and and He lets us look and gives us insight. He's not checking to see if we can pull it off for it. That's not what He's doing. Sometimes it's a financial thing. And let me tell you something. God has never, God doesn't need your money. That's one thing that the church needs to understand. That people in the world, people are always caught up in churches and money. There's plenty of charlatans out there that's made that, that's that's justified that, that in America. That's caused people, that's ripped too many people off. But giving is a part of worship. All the way through. And when God asks you about giving, and it's about worship and obedience. And when he, when he asks you to stretch yourself on some things, well, I'm not talking about when the preacher does. I'm talking about when God does. God is never checking your checking account. That's one thing about God. God is not checking. He, he's not hoping. He's not having you sign, getting your sign in so he can check your balance. Because God, God is checking your faith. And your obedience. Now he's, the, the balance is never in, the, in question. Same thing is going on here. The, when, when the ten spies come back and says, we can't do this, there were two that says, yes, there's giants in the land. Yes, it's flowing with milk and honey. But they said, but we are well able to take the land. And the reason they said that they were well able, it's not because they had a big army behind them or not because they were, there were anything in themselves, it's because God said it's yours and they knew with them and God that's all they needed. So you get out, they get out there and immediately they get out, they've been slaves, and I tell you that, they've been slaves for hundreds of years. Didn't, under under a, a hard taskmaster. He was always a hard taskmaster because you know what? That's what sin is. Sin is a hard taskmaster. That's what the Word says. And whenever it began to, it's time to come out, not only did Pharaoh not say, well, yeah, well, why didn't you say so? Y'all go. He'd say go, and then he'd change his mind, and he'd say, you know what? They've been making all these bricks under this quota. He says, and, y'all, and, and, and we've been gathering the straw for them. He said, have them gather their own straw, but don't reduce the quota. Come back again. And he says, let my people go. And he says, no. Nah. It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he'd send, a, he'd send his taskmasters back out and says, not only don't gather the straw for them. He says, don't, have them make bricks without straw, but don't lower the quota. See, when, deliver, when you're on the verge of deliverance, when you're on the verge of coming out, it might just get harder. And the taskmaster might get stronger. Probably will. You're on the verge of getting out. Then they get out. After and under this taskmaster, they get out in the wilderness. They're, set, they're on their way to the promised land. They doubt God because of the spies. They start grumbling and complaining. And they say, what did you bring us out here in the desert to die? Send us back to Egypt. And this is a picture of what happens when the accuser and the the liar starts coming into the new believer. 
You were a slave to sin all your very life. You were, on your, you were a child of darkness, a, father, a, a child of the devil. That's what the Bible says about us. That's not what I say about us. You're a child of darkness. You're lost, separated from God. And now he has saved you and set you free and you get out in the wilderness and you're on your way to the promised land because of the promise of God and you get out there and you get in the wilderness and you get to cry baby and around and not believe in God anymore. And you start saying, what do you, then you start saying stupid things to God. I don't know if you're supposed to say stupid or not, but it was stupid. You start saying stupid things. What did you bring me out here for? Like slavery was preferable. Send us back to Egypt. You know what? Do you know they were free? They, had, they were free on their way to promise, had the gold and the treasure of the land, and they wanted to go back because Egypt had onions, leeks, and garlic for their beans. Because <laughs> see, what had happened during this time is they got out there across the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. But God done something miraculous. He said, listen, I've got you. Hear me. They were in the wilderness. But God had them. Look at Deuteronomy 8. God had them. He said, I'm going to teach you something here. This is what he began to teach them. He said, every morning you're going to go out. And on the ground... There's going to be all you need to eat for the day. Go out there and gather it first thing every morning, but only enough for today. And on the day of the Sabbath, go out for enough for two days. No more every day, enough for two on the Sabbath. If they would try to gather too much, you know what that, it would rot in their teeth. It would have worms in it. You know why? You know what it was? It was obedience. This is what he told them to do for one day. And they would get they would get nervous and think, what if he doesn't bring it tomorrow? What if he doesn't bring it tomorrow? I'll have a little. They thought, you know, what's the big deal? I'll I'll keep a little for tomorrow. And when they would wake up in the morning, what they gathered for tomorrow would have worms in it. Somebody with more time on their hands than I got figured up one day about how much, what kind. See, we don't think about what was really going on here. That you have at least three million people, probably just in men. And every day God was giving them enough food on the ground that they walked out, picked it up to feed three million people every day. Somebody figured it up. 90 boxcar loads of food every day. 180 boxcar loads on Saturday or Friday for millions of people. And he done it every day. I'll keep a little more just in case God doesn't come through tomorrow. 20 years in, 25 years in, 30 years in, somebody just in case God doesn't come through today. 
Think about it. Just in case. And after so long of manna from heaven, we're talking about the hand of God feeding his people every day. I say, let us go back to Egypt because there's onions and garlic and leeks. I'm tired of this manna. Now think, now think of this. Think about what has happened. God has delivered them without them raising a sword. He brought them out to a place where their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. It says their feet didn't swell. I thought, well, my feet swell now and I ain't a slave or anything. <laughs> didn't get sick. They didn't get sick until they started complaining. Oh, somebody ought to preach that a while. I'm going to tell you something. God hates complaining. I got something written in my Bible. Let me see if it's still there. Uh, it is. There's some things I, that's just worth keeping. I, it's, it's right there on the yellow. You know, y'all, most of y'all know I'm the sticky note king. That yellow sticky note, you know what it says? Let me tell you. It says, complaining is the testimony of the carnal mind and is the enemy of the plan of God for your life. It kills your destiny. Don't, yeah, y'all calm down. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. <laughs> complaining. I'll be like, oh, what's his name, Jeff Arnold. I didn't read that in no book and didn't hear it from no sermon. I, I, was, yes, I was churning my own butter. I was in there praying and, and studying one day, and the Spirit of God says complaining is the testimony. I, I need to remind myself. Complaining is the testimony of a carnal mind and is the enemy of the plan of God for your life. It kills your destiny. They were being fed by the hand of God himself. Miraculous provisions, things that they didn't even know what they were eating, but it sustained them. And I want, I'll take slavery for some onions for a thousand, Alex. Come on, somebody. They ain't so different. They ain't so different. They ain't so different. We're tired of manna. Give us meat. Fine. You can have some quail. It's going to fly in about waist high. Just grab it. And it did. And they went to eat it. And you know what it did? It rotted in their teeth as they ate it. But you know why? Because God's anger was kindled against their complaining and their attitude and his provision. Say, what's this have to John do with John chapter 6? I'm getting there. Minute by minute. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. When he was tempted of the enemy, command these stones be made bread. It is written... That man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When, when God said it to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said, I, I brought you and tested you 
I humbled you to see what was in you so that you could learn that man shall not live by bread alone. Let me tell you what he was saying. You ate in Egypt, but you were in bondage in Egypt. You had food in Egypt, but you were a slave to Egypt. <laughs> you, you may have, he said, you may have, had, you may have been alive, but you didn't have life. Oh, you ain't here. Y'all, y'all are not hearing it. He was, he said, I brought you and, and let you, and stretched you a little and tested you a little to see what was in you so that you would learn that man shall not live by bread alone. I still think you're missing it. You may be able to earn everything you need. You may be able to earn enough on your own to put a roof over your head. You may be able to earn enough on your own to put food on your table. You may be able to earn, you may, you may be able to work hard enough to have some of the finer things in life and have bread on the table, but you're dead. Because man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thy word is life. He says, remember who the word is? Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was at the beginning with God. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Thy word over forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is what? A lamp into my feet. It's a light into my path. He'll let you make your own decisions, but you won't know where you're going. He does it every day. He'll let you make your own decisions, but you're not being See, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He'll let you wander in the wilderness when you could have went to the promised land. All the Y'all get quiet when it gets real. That ought to, you know what that ought to do? That ought to light this room up when we begin to understand that when we hear the word and walk in the word, that the word becomes more than instruction. And that, 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 that dinner rolls aren't going to cut it. That he becomes, the, the word is the bread of life. It is the sustaining factor in us. You can live this whole life breathing. And dead. We were dead. When you're lost, you're a dead man walking. What did he say when he found you? Where were you? What's this word say? What's the written word say from the living word? He said, yeah, I found you. You were dead in your trespasses and your sin. What does it say in John chapter 10, verse 10? The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus is the speaker. He says, but I am come. Why? That you might have life and life more abundantly. Man, man cannot live by bread alone. <laughs> you can survive 
by bread alone in this world, but you'll never live. You'll never live. When he begins to say, I am the bread of life, what is it? He says, I, you know what he's telling you? I am your sustaining source. What was God saying to the, to, in Deuteronomy to the children of Israel? He says that, that, that you would learn that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was, he was telling them that you'll learn that eating is not living. That obedience to the voice of God is where power is and where life is. He was saying in a sentence, Jesus is saying in John chapter 6, I'm you're everything you need to sustain life eternally. He's not talking about I've got a loaf of bread that you'll eat it and you'll never be hungry again. He's not, no more than he was talking to the woman at the well when he says, he says, he said, give me a drink. And she says, who are you, a Jew asking me for a drink? He said, besides that, the well is deep. And she didn't even know what she was saying because I want to tell you the well was deep. The well was deep. He says, the well is deep and you don't have anything to draw with. He says, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you living water that you would never thirst again. Who are you? Are you, are you greater than Father Jacob who gave us the well? <laughs> no. So there's a time that it won't be about the mountain in Jerusalem and it won't be about this mountain. It'll be about those who come and worship him will be true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, and the Father seeks such to worship him. He says, I'll give you living water. He says it in John chapter 6. I'm the living, I am the bread. I am the living water. If you eat of the bread, drink the water, you'll never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty again. What's this, what does he say in Matthew chapter 5? It's part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. He will never, he will never, was it grace last week? That he will never pass thirsty. He will never walk past a thirsty person that's looking for him. He will never walk past hunger. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He'll never walk past it. Ever. He's going to fulfill that. By the way, Mag Church, when we get hungry and thirsty enough, revival will come. Because I'm going to tell you some things about revival. Because revival is not something that can be schemed and planned by men. It is not, and it is not hanging on to 
1906 or 19 anything. It's not hanging on to yesterday trying to get back to there. It is when people get hungry enough to seek God for what He wants for their lives. It is when people get thirsty enough and are tired of doing without. Leonard Ravenhill famously said there's no revival in the church today because we're, we are okay with doing without it. Because we're content without it. It's not a hanging on to a past. It's not a scheduled event on a calendar. It is not a scheme by man. It's whenever God's people will get hungry enough and thirsty enough to begin to seek Him and what He wants. They will set aside their own agenda and say, I want you more than I want anything else. It's whenever His people will, will be more interested in what He's going to do next week than what the Cowboys are going to do next week. It's whenever His people get more interested than what God's going to do in November than what Donald Trump's going to do in November. It's going to be when God's people get more interested than what God can do in a place than what some, what some charlatan, slick-talking preacher can say. It's going to be when God's people get hungry and thirsty after the, the bread of life and after the one that, who is the sustainer, after the one who has the answers, whenever he becomes more important, when we realize again that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that he will change our families. When we are no longer bored with the word of God, when we are no longer complacent about what he says, when we no longer can yawn and say, oh, I've heard all that before. If you're bored with the word of God, you need to find an altar of repentance and get and and get in love with Jesus again because there's no excuse for it. There's no excuse for it. The problem's not on his end. The problem is on our end. God is not, do you know that God wants to pour out on his people worse than anybody in this room or anywhere in this world ever wanted? He's not waiting on We're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on him. He wants to. He's already done it. In fact, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. It began Acts chapter 2. And we're bored with the things of God. The same, do you know the more people change, the more they say the same? They were bored with the manna. They were bored with the manna. Matt, they were bored with the manna. We're tired of manna. We're tired of you providing for us. We're tired of you giving us everything we need. We, we, we at least had the taste of some, of, some, of some onions in our beans. My God. You know, Sister Tennyson asked it always. Says if Jesus was the only thing on the menu, would you still be hungry? Oh, it's us. It's us. Let me say it a different way so you don't get It's me. It's me. It's me. It is. People are too busy being offended by what the Word of God says when the preacher preaches it. We're too busy. We're, trying, we're too busy saying, instead of what does the Word say and how can I please Him, how, what can I, how can I live just and get by with it? What's just enough to get me into heaven? Probably not that. Probably not that. Because he says, if you eat of, the, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, and abide. 
and abide in me. That is a dwelling place, a place of provision and contentment and protection. Abide in me. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He wasn't talking about Catholicism and transubstantiation. The Eucharist. He was not talking about any of that stuff. He was talking about, take me in. Take me in. Make me, uh, feast on me. On what? On the living bread of life. On, I am the bread of life. Feast on me. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body which was broken for you. Feast on it. Abide in it. Go and look at the language it says if you can. There's something that People miss all over the world when they read that. It says, go, you got to get into some language and see that it's, that it's eat, and, eat and continue eating, drink and continue drinking. But there's one place right there in the old King James that says, if you feed on me. It's not, it's not even hidden in Greek. It's right, written in old Plain old English, if you feed on me. Can somebody explain to me what feeding on him is? It's continual. It's continual. I told you 20 minutes ago, whatever it was, that salvation is the beginning of your relationship with God, not the end. Lord, teach us to pray. Remember? Lord, teach us to pray. Remember in Matthew chapter 6? Lord, teach us. Luke chapter 11. Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't come and say, Lord, teach us to preach. And that was the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. That's what the Bible says. Problems in the world. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Romans chapter 10. How will they believe in him they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear unless he's sent? It's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. But they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us how to, teach us the right songs to sing. Lord, Teach us to go back to the red back hymnal. Lord, teach us that it's about red carpet and oak views. Lord, teach us about the Sunday school quarterly and the Pentecostal evangel. I'm just plowing a little. He said, Lord, Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Oh, there's, some, there's a reason I'm going there. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, give us See, I don't mean, this prayer was never meant to be wrote. It was never meant to be strung behind Hail Marys and Our Fathers on a rosary chain. 
None of that stuff. It was never meant, it was never meant to be a diatribe or a dogma. It was, never, it was, it was the a concepts of a complete prayer and obedience to the Father. Our Father, Father, hallowed be that I love you. I lift you up. You are magnificent. I honor you. You are the Holy One. There's none greater than you. Father, we're talking heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. It's not about this earth or the things of this earth. It's not about the things I can get, the things I can acquire. Hallowed thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not about me. It's about you. Come on. I'll remind you that the Word, when the Word became flesh, He even prayed the same thing. What He taught them to pray in Matthew chapter 6, He knelt in the garden. Remember? Whenever the passion was upon Him, whenever it was time to fulfill His ministry, to fulfill His role, what He was called to do. (laughs) If there's any other way, let this pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He, he didn't just preach it, he modeled it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jeff, it's him. I need him today. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Remember, the Word made flesh. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. It's Him. The bread of life. It's Him. Not give me my once-in-a-lifetime bread that's going to give me this day our daily bread. God, forgive me. My sins, my trespasses, my debts, as I forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, I, I need everybody to hear that one again. Forgive me, my, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let me remind you forgive me my sin in the same manner that I forgive those who trespass and sin against me. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Don't you wish it didn't say that? Don't you wish you didn't understand that now? Don't you wish you didn't have some revelation of what he was saying? Because he said, if you can't forgive your brother, if you can't forgive those who then your Father in heaven can't forgive you. That's what the Word says. He says, if you, can't forgive your fa- your, if you can't forgive your brothers, your Father in heaven can't forgive you. That messes up people's doctrine because, well, it means what it says. I'm going to tell you what, your, your unforgiven sin's not getting in.
Yeah. So let me say that again. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Let me say, forgive me what I owe you as I forgive people what they owe me. How many different ways you want me to say it? God's ability and willingness to forgive us is directly tied to our ability and willingness to forgive other people. Forgive us our sin, our debt, our trespasses as we forgive those, the sin, the debt, the trespasses against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? For For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Let me say it a different way so people can understand it in today's English. For it's all yours. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That's a nice prayer, and it's right. But that's not how people talk these days. Let me tell you what it's saying. For yours, it's all you. It all belongs to you. For yours is the kingdom. You have all the power. And all the glory belongs to you forever. Amen. I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of life. You eat of me, you'll never be hungry again. Because I'm more, I'm more than just bread. I let you be hungry and I humbled you. I tested you to see what was in you in the wilderness so that you would learn that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh, that's Old Testament. That's why Jesus brought it to Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 11. Command these stones be made bread. It is written. Do you hear what he did? He went to the words that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He didn't go... He didn't go to biscuits and gravy or yeast rolls. <laughs> Yea, verily. He, he, yeah, he didn't do that. He went to the word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. I'm hungry. In my flesh, yes. And it's been a long 40 days. But listen, it's written. It's written. Man shall not live by bread alone. I could eat your donuts. But it wouldn't do anything eternally for me. So I'll eat the bread from the, show, from the table of showbread. You know who that was? Table of showbread in the, in the tabernacle. It was still him. Bow down and worship me, Satan said. What did he say? 
it is written. Thou shalt worship only the Lord thy God, only. Worship, it's a set. Do y'all hear something that the devil does? His playbook never changes. We ought to recognize him. That's why you're here tonight, to be reminded. His playbook never changes. If you'll turn your, get, get your eyes off of him and worship me, look at all this. He took him out looking, he said, look at all this. Took him, to sell the, took him out on the high and see, shows him all of the land of, around him. He says, look at all this. He says, I'll give it all to you. And yes, it was his to give. He's the, he's the God of this world. He says, I'll give it all to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And he still does. There's plenty of people sold their soul. God, and they've, they've, gained the, they've gained the whole world. And you know what they've lost? Their soul. What profited a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Maybe they, maybe they achieved hundreds of millions, billions of dollars on the trade and they hang themselves in their closet because they're empty. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. I think of Kate Spade on top of her game. Renowned des- designer. Hangs herself by her own purse straps. Scarf by scarf. Hundreds of millions of dollars. World acclaim. A household name. She gained the whole world and was empty. Happens all the time. Because man can't live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of fall down and worship me. I'll give you everything. And you know what? He, he does. Everything you can see. But he, he forget about what you can't see. Because everything that glitters ain't gold. Can I tell you what he does? Somebody needs to remember this. This is so practical. The enemy puts his best thing. Somebody needs to hear it tonight. The enemy puts his best thing out front. Everything past, everything past the facade, everything past step one is a downhill slide. God saves the best for last. This world isn't it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. He said, a servant's not greater than his master. They hated you. They hated me. They'll hate you. You're going to have trouble, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And you know what? The suffering of this present time, Paul said, is not worthy to be compared to the glory which is to come. God saves the best for last. You know, just like at the wedding of Cana, in case y'all think that Jesus was a bootlegger, it wasn't about Jesus being a bootlegger. It was about he saved the best for last. You know what? You know who the best? I'm I'm down loading a boatload of theology on y'all tonight. Because you know what? 
from the first time God killed and skinned an animal for Adam and Eve. There was a river of blood through that old covenant. Sheep and goat and oxen and turtle doves. In some places, hundreds of thousands. They dedicate the temple. Pay, what is it? 100 paces? Can't remember. 10? And slaughter? 10,000? 10 more paces? Another? There was a river of blood. The great day of atonement, everybody had to bring their sacrifice. A river of blood. And when Jesus walked up bearing his own cross to Calvary, the Lamb of the world, and when he cried, it is finished. It was, he saved the best for last. That was what the wedding at Cana was about. You've saved the best for last. And that's what he does. There's nothing the church, the body of Christ, let me say it that way, because people sometimes confuse what the church is. They think the church is in Rome and Springfield or on Highway 12. No, the church is the body of Christ. And what the body of Christ needs again, this body of Christ, right now, tonight, needs a fresh revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. We need a fresh revelation of heaven and we need a fresh revelation of hell. It would change every one of us in a moment. We've heard it until we're bored with it. And it's still the greatest story ever told. He's still the bread that came down from heaven. He's still the I am of the book of John. He's still the only hope for the world. He's my only hope and he's your only hope. You may gain it all, but you'll lose it all. Fall down and worship me. It is written. You should worship only the Lord your God. I'll take you up to this highest point of the, te- of the temple. Throw yourself down, Jesus, because I know the power that's available to you. Because then Satan tried it. He says, throw yourself down. He says, because he gave his, he's given his angels charge over you. That he'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. He's saying, here's some scripture for you. Which is what people do. They'll rip something out of context and throw it out there. Satan no scripture. And Jesus says, nice try. But it is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What am I talking about tonight? Unless you eat in my flesh, drink in my blood. He's talking about the bread of life. Who he is. What he's done. And it's the only answer. Brandon, you can come back. The gospel of Jesus Christ is truly as easy, as simple, let's say it that way, as simple 
as whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's as complicated as he's the only way and we have a real problem just keeping our eyes on just that. We want to do something. Earn something. All of those things. And he just wants us to depend on him. The bread of life, I'm your sustenance. I'm your provision. I am your life. There's nothing else but me. I'm it. And we're in an age of easy believism. Oh, the gospel's simple. But, oh, I believe in God. Well, how's he changed your life? Oh, y'all ain't hear me. Oh, I, I, I believe. Oh, it says, you know, you believe in God, you do well. Said so even the devils believe. And tremble. Has he changed your life? Because if a man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. When you're his, you change. Oh, I see it every time I say it. I say it nearly every service anymore because that's where we need to be. If, if a man's in Christ, he's a new creation. You change. Period. If you just said a prayer and went out the same way that you came in, that ain't it. That ain't it. The blood of Jesus changes you. The Word of God changes you. Oh, you're, you, hopefully, you're not going to be who you are 10 years from now. 20 years from now, you're supposed to continue to mature and grow in the Lord continually but your change and anybody that didn't change didn't get saved and that's not because I said it it's because the book says it there's no changing faith there was no saving faith because it's impossible somebody say impossible it is impossible to partake of the bread of life and stay the same. Impossible. He changes you. And yes, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, it's day by day, year by year, month by month. He changes you. Somebody, I, I, most of you know this, but I'm going to say it because there's people in this room. My, my spirit will not let me go on without saying it. What do you mean? I'm just going to be, uh, I don't know the word. I don't know. I need one. Y'all see me hauling them, them little twins around? Y'all see me hauling them around earlier? You know, the day they were conceived, their DNA was set. The day they were born... When they, were, when they were conceived, when they were formed in Shai's womb, when they began to develop, you know, the, the day that they were conceived, 
Israel and Isaiah was as much Israel and Isaiah as they were ever going to be. When they were born March 25th at 10, 10 p.m., in case you were wondering, they were as much Israel and Isaiah as they were ever going to be. The day they were born. Are y'all hearing me? When you're born again, you're saved as you're ever going to be. But something does happen. And if it didn't, it didn't happen. Now, Israel and Isaiah, are as much, the day they were conceived indeed, and, but the day they were born, they were as much who they are as they're ever going to be. Their DNA is not going to change. Their gender is not going to change. I don't have to wait till they're six and let them decide what they are. They're as much as they're what they're going to be the day they were born. Spiritually and physically is a, is a picture of each other. They began to crawl. And if they didn't, something would be wrong. Israel's sitting up on his honey and and if he didn't, something would be wrong. Teeth. If they didn't, something would be wrong. If they don't start pulling that and walking, something's wrong. If they don't start talking, something's wrong. It's not you know, he'll be just as Israel when he was born as he'll be when he's 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. But if he didn't breathe when he was born, he wouldn't be alive. If his blood didn't pump when he was born, something he wouldn't be alive. When you're born again, you're saved as you're ever going to be. But if something didn't change, you were not born again. And once you were born again, if you're, the same, if you're in the same condition a year later as the day you were born again, something's wrong. If five years in, if, if five years in you're still a babe in Christ, something's wrong. Ten years, fifteen years, just like physically, if you don't mature and grow up and grow in and walk in, begin to mature as a something's wrong. I need people to get the picture. Something's wrong. See, the day you were born again, you became something else. And if you didn't, you didn't. And he'll develop you and mature you. And you'll grow in him. And you'll become a healthy. Paul even rebuked the church. He says, I come back, you ought to be on the meat of the word, but I've got to start all over again with you because you know why? Something was wrong. I'm the bread of life. 
come eat of me. Drink of me. You'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. Let me help you with part of that. Then we're going to pray. Part of never being hungry again, Matt, let me, somebody needs to hear it. Part of never being hungry again, never being thirsty again, the spiritual thing is, you know what? I'm, I'm not out looking for something else to satisfy me. I'm no longer hungry for the things of this world. I'm no longer thirsty for the rewards of men. I'm no longer starving after acclaim and recognition and all I can get and all I can do. I'm after the will of God. See, I'm not, I'm no longer, I'm, I'm not hungry anymore because I'm, I'm eating from the bread of life. See, if you eat of me, drink of me, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again because you'll be satisfied and who he is and what he's done. You, you want to, are you looking for, the world says it this way, are you looking for fulfillment? If you're, that's the application. Paul told the Philippian church that. He told them, he said, I've, I've had, I've been abounding, I've had nothing and everything in between. He said, I've learned that whatever state I'm in, what? To be content. It was no longer about this world or the things of this world. You know why? He wasn't hungry. And he wasn't thirsty. He was satisfied because he had the bread of life. Stand with me all over this place. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that by your spirit tonight, you're speaking to hearts in this place. Challenge the saint, drawing the sinner. Lord, I pray tonight that the gospel has been preached and that ears, those that have ears to hear have heard what the spirit would say to the people. Lord, change us. Fulfill us. Satisfy us with good things. You said your word, you said you satisfy us with good things. Lord, we look to you to live all over this house. If you're here tonight and you realize that there's no life in you, I've learned. I believe there's places for public confessions and walking aisles and all that. I'm not against any of it. But I also know that it's not required by this book. And it's high time that churches and preachers all across this country learn the same thing. That if it's whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's always as close as the mention of his name. And doesn't require earthquakes rain, fire, or wind. Just a still, small voice and a knowing that says, God, I I repent of who I've been. 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for paying the price that I couldn't pay. And Lord, I accept you today as my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Give me life. And I'll walk with you. I'll live it with you as my help and the, the rest of my life. I will abide in you. And I will eat of you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.